Hello and welcome to the WRI podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode we've a high-level cast of experts looking at some of the big issues about building back better in the wake of the Covid crisis, including the impact on development and climate issues. This is a condensed version of a webinar that our climate team hosted at London Climate Action Week. It started with a quick-fire question. How soon will the global economy recover from the Covid crisis? First, Kitty van der Heyden, Director General for International Cooperation at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands. The answer depends on where you sit. If you're in the developed country economy, it will take you probably between three to five years because you'll start to grow from a lower base. But if you're a developing country, especially in LDC, definitely five plus years, if not 10 years, because of the inequalities that will only be deepened by Corona and its knock-on socioeconomic impacts. Next, Joyce Sawyer, the United Nations Environment Deputy Executive Director. I would say five years plus, uh, because as uh, statistics and data is showing, this is probably the deepest recession the world has seen for decades, whether it's in middle-income countries or low-income countries. So I will go for five years plus. Now, Vel Gananendran, Director of Climate and Environment at the Department for International Development in Britain. Look, I'm an economist, so I, I never give straight answers to these questions. So I'm going to say it depends on, on policies and programmes. But I'm also an optimist, so I would say if you force me, I'm going to say three years. Next, Anne-Sophie Cheresola, Director of the United Nations Climate Ambition Team. To be completely honest, I would respond, I do not know. And to try to help, I will respond, this will all depend on the choices we make right now in developed or developing country, on the kind of recovery plans we design and implement, on the kind of cooperation between countries we design and implement, and the choices we make now and the next six months will decide whether it will take one year, five years or ten years. Finally, Wanjira Matai, the director of WRI Africa. I think the question is a little bit misleading because I think we will start to recover in a couple of years and it all depends on when we actually emerge from this pandemic. And I think that we are still, for some of us, in the midst of it, which makes recovery sort of a secondary discussion outside of the pandemic itself. But if you ask me, on a good day, three years. Back to Kitty van der Heyden. How is development cooperation shifting in the light of the COVID crisis? In a pandemic of this magnitude, obviously we turn our program to immediate needs, which are humanitarian needs and health needs. Though we're acutely aware that we shouldn't crowd out everything else that also needs to happen in terms of poverty, inequalities, and all kinds of environmental degradation, biodiversity, climate change, and others. The second effect of COVID-19, and that links to the first one, is that obviously ODA budgets are going down. Most of the ODA budgets are linked to GNI. GNI goes down across the developed world. Our budget is quite significantly impacted. So how do we deal with those risks? And how do we deal with some of the sort of knock-on opportunistic behavior that we see? It does relate to climate finance. If there's less money and you need to spend more on humanitarian and health aid, then obviously that crowds out some of the climate finance that are, is so crucial for success in COP26. I think the key thing that we are learning is something that we have as a central tenet in our portfolio, that we shouldn't look 
at short-term solutions. It's all about the underlying dynamics and systemic changes that we need to address when it comes to eradicating poverty. That includes environmental degradation, that includes climate action, mitigation, and adaptation. And so our main focus in terms of changing what we do already is looking at how we do build back better. How do we make sure now that we are, as a, as a public sector at large in the world, we are pouring in 17% of the global GDP from the public sector into recovery packages. That's enormous. That's never been done before. It's unprecedented. Now, it could either take us to a world of a degree and a half, or the decisions we take now on where that money is spent will lose the perspective of a degree and a half world within the next two years, because it's about the decisions we take right now with a humongous amount of money. And Bloomberg is very clear in its analysis, at the moment of this entire package, not 0.15%, not 0.15%, that's negligible, that's, that's almost nothing, is spent on energy transition, on energy efficiency, and everything we need to keep the degree and a half world close by. So that's our focus in our overall portfolio. How do we build back better or build forward to keep the world that we would like to see, which is the world of the SDGs, Paris compliant. Next, Joyce Sawyer. How does she see the interplay of priorities, such as dealing with immediate humanitarian needs, with issues such as climate and biodiversity loss? You know, when you sit back and look at how the governments and uh, the public has reacted to this emergency. There is something positive in terms of, as Kitty mentioned, just focusing on the immediate humanitarian uh, aspects of the pandemic, but also mobilizing enormous amount of resources towards the immediate humanitarian pandemic. Now at UNEP, Uh, we are looking at three very critical and interrelated environmental challenges. One is climate change, second is biodiversity loss, and third is pollution, which uh, includes chemicals and waste. But also we know that from science that when you address one of these aspects, you also address the other. The second part of UNEP, we have about 15 multilateral environmental agreements, conventions that are actually docked into UNEP, and that provides us with a wide network uh, across the environmental community to actually support the countries. So how are we supporting the countries? Uh, Three ways, and one is the nature-based solutions, building on last year's the Climate Action Summit, for example, in a number of countries, including here in East Africa, we're looking at how mangroves can actually be used as part of green infrastructure, much, much better than the gray infrastructure in terms of water retention, etc. And for ocean-facing countries like the one we're in, in Kenya, This is extremely important, the nature-based solutions, which also addresses uh, all the aspects around climate change, pollution, as well as nature. The second, we're working uh, through advisory services with governments on how to invest in climate-friendly and nature-based actions that stimulates economic regrowth, but also create employment opportunities and increases resilience for the future. We know with this pandemic, a number of jobs have been lost, 
So we are using our engagement with the financial sectors, with the uh, ministers of environments, ministries of finance, through global platforms such as the Net Zero Asset Alliance, the Green Fiscal Policy uh, Network, as well as with institutional investors through the UN Principles for Responsible Investment and the UNEP Finance Initiative. And lastly, on partnerships, as a member of a wider UN system, we're working with other UN agencies to actually provide the normative, the science, using, for example, the Global Environment Outlook or our studies on zoonotic diseases to actually help inform the policy actions on the ground. Back to Vel Gananendran. How's he framing the issues from where he's sitting? There is an immediate need, and I think lots of the partner countries we work with are requesting support on the immediate humanitarian need. As I think Wanjira said, the economic shock is in some countries leading the health shock. So we're also having to pivot very quickly to supporting livelihoods, particularly you know, in the informal sectors. That is the immediate requirement. And so we are doing that. The other thing we're trying to hold on to and to use this moment to remind ourselves of and to, to think quite hard about is something we've known in the climate world for a long time, which is the importance of investing in prevention and resilience. And let's not, you know, let's not forget the risk of other crises. Extreme weather events haven't gone into lockdown just because of COVID. So we're seeing that in Bangladesh now with the heavy rainfall. People expect the hurricane season to be worse in the Caribbean because it's been unusually warm this year. The other point I wanted to mention is that, um, and we're seeing this a bit through our, our work on through the UN Financing for Development, is that the recovery process is not just about a clean and a climate recovery. That is really important and that must absolutely be central. But we also need to think about the health systems recovery, about the education recovery with so many children out of school. And I think as we think about the recovery, we need to think about how we bring all those different elements together. What we absolutely have to avoid, if you like, is a situation where the climate community is saying that recovery must be a green recovery and then we have other aspects of the development lobby saying actually it needs to be about health or education and we need to be able to articulate that in the round as a collective. Kitty van der Hayden again. How does she see the green element of recovery proposals within the EU? The EU, the Commission I should say, proposed a 750 billion recovery fund. The problem is that the negotiations are obviously still ongoing at the highest level in the European Council. The Netherlands is, like many other member states, strongly in line with the idea of a digital and green recovery. All of us still have questions around how we really do that. 25% is directed specifically to climate action, but there is more actually to it because at least if you take our stance, we also want all of the funding, the 750 billion recovery fund, to be Paris proof and at least as a minimum should do no harm, right? So it's both the allocation specifically for climate, but also overall the whole package should be Paris proof. The recovery fund should also support the European Green Deal, which is the bigger framework, and contribute to the national energy and climate plans that each of the EU member states are developing. I think one crucial part of the green recovery in the EU will be an agreement on the implementation of the Green Deal and specifically on the European NDC and a higher NDC than we have at present. These policies will be binding for all the member states, and we know that the Commission will propose an NDC with a higher ambition, somewhere in the range of 50 to 55 percent. That will be based on an impact assessment, which the first Vice President Franz Timmermans will launch in September. So we don't really know where that will land at the moment. 
What I can say for at least the Netherlands, we are strongly in favor of the 55% reduction by 2030 because we strongly believe if we are to land in a climate neutral zone by 2050, we better start taking early action and increase our ambition by 2030. We all think that that's cost effective, it's good for our competitiveness and it has many economic rational, quite apart from the moral imperative that we should do this. I think one important part that hasn't really been addressed is the issue of policy coherence. Because beyond allocating money for climate action, it is about policy coherence across the entire line of policies from transport to energy to agricultural policy. And that's the bigger setting of the Green Deal. And that's where we'll be trying to push for more ambition, for more coherence across all sectors in the EU. So it will be interesting times. Let's talk again when we have seen the impact assessment in September and how hard we have to push to keep that 55% within reach. The important thing here, Manish, is to really frame this as something that we see that is economically rational. It enhances competitiveness, it will create jobs, so it's quite apart from Yes, we must do this from a climate perspective and from a global action perspective. This makes sense from every economic angle you look at it. And that's, I think, what's driving a higher ambition, which is a change in the narrative from what we've seen like five or ten years ago when we were in, in the midst of a crisis. Next, a few questions about Africa. How is climate being integrated into longer-term recovery plans on the continent? In a moment, Joyce Msuya and some reflections from Manish Bapner of WRI. But first, Wanjira Matai. I think that's where the long-term strategy and the NDC process are so important. Every single country looking at the long-term strategy, cementing right now the pathways that will be in place for the next 30 years will send the signals to all investors about where we want to go. So if we're serious about a green, climate-resilient, just, inclusive pathway, that has got to be cemented now. It's a very small window of time as African countries are working on their long-term strategies, building on strategies that they've already had the Vision 2030 here, the 10-year perspective plan in places like Ethiopia. It, it will not happen. It's not intuitive. I know for sure in Kenya, for example, the long-term strategy process is underway, but it's underway at the Ministry of Environment. We've got to get planning and finance ministries involved in that process. So the coordination is really important. I also want to mention that with respect to cooperation, while I agree that perhaps there will be more cooperation on the climate issues, I am not as optimistic about the economic cooperation. And so for Africa, we are starting to see a lot of focus on a more regional trade cooperation, starting to talk about, and, and we all know that the African Union is going to announce very soon a regional trade agreement. We also have much more in emphasis and growth around local manufacturing and value addition. For these to be in place and to send the right signals for green energy, a just energy transition, they've got to be cemented in the long-term strategies. And I think that's where the climate priorities and the climate planning and the economic planning are in absolute synchronicity. We cannot allow this window of time to pass without aligning those two. And I think for us, certainly at WRI Africa, we are going to place a lot of emphasis in providing that support. It's very clear that uh, the pandemic 
has laid bare just how much our social and economic fate is actually linked to the health of the nat natural world. So the case for nature-based investments has never been more compelling. This is more than environment. It's about jobs creation. It's about building back better or building forward. We also know that uh, the world is on the cause for the deepest recession since World War II. Projections indicate the global economy will shrink by 5.2% this year. This is likely to tip millions of uh, population into extreme poverty, but also set back the progress that uh, some of the countries had made in SDGs. Thank you very much, Joyce. And it's just such, a, such an important part of this conversation. As you mentioned, you know, the World Bank is estimating that 100 million people will fall below the extreme poverty line by the end of this year. When we talk about unmitigated climate change, we talk about 100 million by 2030. Additional people pushed to the brink of starvation. And many of these people are in rural areas. Many of them are in the developing world. Many of them are very close to nature. And so this point about how we can reach these people and ensure better livelihoods, better jobs, how we support them by investing in areas that both protect nature and create those jobs and livelihoods that build resilience to future shocks is hugely important. It was something that was absolutely missing in the response uh, to the 2008-2009 crisis, which focused a lot on energy, transport, large-scale water management, but nature was missing back then. So we're delighted you're, you're focusing on that. And Sophie, another big theme around building back better or building forward is clearly the issue of finance. Finance has been a major challenge and economic recovery programs for many developing countries. How, how is the UNSG, how is the UN looking at the issue of finance? What are some of the insights emerging from some of the discussions you've been a part of? We're going to need enormous amounts of money to fight the pandemic and to help countries recover. Yes, it's true that many countries are now looking inward and looking at what's happening, you know, uh, in each country and, and, and not really looking outside, really focusing on their people and on their economy, which, of course, you know, makes sense. It doesn't make sense, on the other hand, because we know very well that individually our best interest is to care for each other because the pandemic showed us that the only response is a collective one. Climate also, biodiversity are all global public goods. And we all know that impacts are local, the response are global. We have been saying that many times. What we do at the UN is really try to implement sustainable development goals. And I think this is accepted by the entire global community. And we all know that if this was only about carbon, I would not be doing this job. This is about people. This is about uh, human rights. This is about jobs. This is about education. This is about, you know, women leading, etc. This is about the SDGs. And of course, we must advance all of them at the same time together. And this is what we are trying to do. It's not easy, but this is our main objective. And this is why the financing for development as climate as part of the work. But of course, we'd be working on all the different SDGs. The idea is not to do a little of everything, but really to focus on very concrete outcomes, which we hope to present in September.
And that was Anne-Sophie Cheresola ending this podcast chewing over some of the big issues in how the world can build back better from the Covid crisis. You can find the full audio and video from this webinar on our website wri.org. It's one of the past events on the events tab. And of course you can subscribe to WRI Podcast for more insights wherever you download yours. Thanks for listening and goodbye.